wonderful people, and welcome to Sidecar Stories. I'm Sam, this is Sidecar Stories, and today we're going to be reading chapters 13 and 14 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Now, I'm very excited to be back. Last week, eh, it was a little rough. It happens. Um, as you can see, my face looks about as white as it can possibly get. I'm showing some shirt. Got some unbuttoning things going on. I am a mess, as per usual, uh, but I'm excited to be here with you. Thank you for tuning in. Um, we are rereading a bit from last week because of the, uh, you know, sort of technical issues. I am going to be, hopefully, this week. Um, I've got a job interview that, you know, we'll see what happens, but it could be uh, an exciting opportunity. If it requires me to change my schedule, I will let you guys know. I will consult with you, and by you, you know who you are, Rachel. Um, because like you... Um, I kind of measure my week by this. It's a great chance to come back every week and do something consistent. I really like that opportunity, um, especially when it's something that I enjoy doing so much. Um, are you ready for some real close-up action? I just want you guys to take a great look at my face while I sort out some things with the audio. I am going to do our summary from... I'll do it from chapters like 11 and 12 instead of last week, because last week was... Uh, most of chapter 13, not quite all. I think my main issue is that I am in a space where uh, I don't often have control over how much of the internet is being used or how many other people are using the internet while I am trying to use it. Anyway. Summary. Here we go. So chapter 12 begins. Hermione is working up the Polyjuice Potion. They believe they're really going to get Malfoy this time. They trust that if they can just get into the common room with the supplies that they steal from Snape's, hoping they were actually going to be able to learn something. Unfortunately not. Now, in this dueling club, Harry and Malfoy get paired together, and through a very rapid-fire series of events, suddenly there's a snake on the floor, and Harry talks to it. Now, Harry doesn't realize why that's significant. He doesn't really understand what's going on. What he finds out is, from Ron and Hermione, the ability to speak to snakes is called uh, being a parcel mouth. Uh, parcel mouths are able to talk to snakes. Um, it means you're able to speak parcel. Salazar Slytherin was a parcel mouth as well. And they're not that common. So it points to the fact that, you know, Harry might be related to this somehow. Of course, his friends don't believe that he would be involved, but that's not true of everyone in school. And there's a group of Hufflepuffs that Harry overhears in the library talking about his uh, speaking to the snake. They believe, you know, because they don't speak snake language, all they heard was Harry Potter, the odd boy with the lightning scar on his forehead, talking to a snake. And it nearly attacked one of their own, a guy named Ernie McMillan. Um... Is that right? Is that Ernie? It nearly attacks a Hufflepuff. Uh, no, Justin Finch-Fletchley. That's who it was. And the worst possible thing happens. Harry runs out into the hallway, has a quick discussion with Hagrid, and turns a corner to find not only Justin Finch-Fletchley, but also nearly headless Nick, the house, the Gryffindor house ghost, has been petrified. Both of them. Of course... People blame Harry for this, and he is whisked off to Dumbledore's office. Uh, he tries to explain to McGonagall as she takes him up to Dumbledore's office that it, he didn't do it. You know, he was just talking to Hagrid, but she says this is kind of out of her hands now. Fortunately, 
Dumbledore believes him. Dumbledore doesn't blame him for the attack, and uh, he is released. Meanwhile, it's winter in the castle. People are getting a little fidgety. It's, um, it's Christmas break, as a matter of fact, and Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle have stayed back, so Harry, Ron, and Hermione have also stayed at school for Christmas break. Um, they see it as the perfect opportunity to get into the Slytherin common room and talk to Malfoy one-to-one. Two-to-one. They are able to get some little samples that are required to make the proper polyjuice potion from Crabbe and Goyle, and Harry and Ron turn into Crabbe and Goyle. After knocking them out with some uh, sleep draughted snacks and uh, stowing them in a broom closet for the time being, they accompany Malfoy down into the Slytherin common room where he reveals nothing from what they expected. He makes it very clear he wishes he knew who the heir of Slytherin was so he could go assist the heir in um, eradicating the, you know, muggle-born threat at school, as Malfoy considers it. So it turns out, uh, no luck. They are no closer to finding out who the heir of Slytherin is than when they started this whole plan. Very frustrating. One more thing. Before I get started, now that I've finished with my summary, I got, um, well, I got a couple of books from Goodwill. First of all, this one, oh, cool, it's like weirdly, weirdly invisible, because it's green, fantastic. Okay, so this, if you can read that, it says hoaxes, and uh, it's going to be perfect for a writing project that I'm working on about uh, some, some hoaxers. The world's greatest hoaxes, exploits of ingenious hoaxers, cunning imposters, and their gullible victims. This could not have showed up at a more perfect time. Now, the one that I'm really excited about for you guys specifically is this one. Ah, check it out. The Tales of Beetle the Bard by J.K. Rowling. Now this, um, I'm trying to remember if this has become significant yet, and I don't believe it has. I don't believe we've come upon this in the books yet. And so I may wait until that time to start it. Uh, I think they show up in book three. Um, might be book four. Um, but the Tales of Beetle the Bard. Beetle the Bard is a, you know, a historical figure in the Harry Potter universe, and he has written... Uh, some interesting tales and so I am planning to read those to you guys I don't know when you guys will probably have to help me decide so if you can think of a good moment for me to start reading tales of Beetle the Bard let me know and if you've been keeping up with my Instagram uh, sidecar stories that's where I do most of my updates you will know that um, I'm looking also for a time at which I might get sorted hashtag Sam gets sorted um, I'm looking to find out which my my uh, Hogwarts house would be. So, without further ado, we're going to begin. As usual, go ahead and put it in the chat. If you've got anything you'd like to talk about, I would love to either pause it or we will uh, discuss it in between the chapters. Thank you, for, thank you all so much for watching. You're wonderful people. Chapter 13, The Very Secret Diary. Hermione remained in the hospital wing for several weeks. There was a flurry of rumor about her disappearance when the rest of the school arrived back from their Christmas holidays, because, of course, everyone thought she had been attacked. 
So many students filed past the hospital wing, trying to catch a glimpse of her, that Madame Pomfrey took out her curtains again and placed them around Hermione's bed, to spare her the shame of being seen with a furry face. Harry and Ron went to visit her every evening. When the new term started, they brought her each day's homework. If I'd brought it whiskers, I'd take a break from the work, said Ron, tipping a stack of books onto Hermione's bedside table one evening. Don't be silly, Ron. I've got to keep up, said Hermione briskly. Her spirits were greatly improved by the fact that all of the hair had gone from her face, and her eyes were slowly turning back to brown. For those of you who don't remember, Hermione accidentally mixed uh, her polyjuice potion, not with a bit of hair from <laughs> from a Slytherin, as was her intent, so she could turn into a Slytherin, but uh, from the hair of a cat, and she ended up turning partially into a cat. So she has been up in the hospital wing, recuperating from that, turning slowly but surely back into uh, Miss Granger as we know her. I don't suppose you've got any new leads? She added in a whisper, so that Madame Pomfrey couldn't hear her. Nothing, said Harry gloomily. I was so sure that it was Malfoy, said Ron, for about the hundredth time. What's that? asked Harry, pointing to something gold sticking out from under Hermione's pillow. Just a get-well card, said Hermione hastily, trying to poke it back out of sight, but Ron was too quick for her. He pulled it out, flicked it open, and read aloud. To Miss Granger, wishing you a speedy recovery, from your concerned teacher, Gilderoy Lockhart. Order of Merlin, third class, honorary member of the Dark Force Defense League, and five-time winner of which weekly's most charming smile award. Ron looked up at Hermione, disgusted. You sleep with this under your pillow? But Hermione was spared answering by Madame Pomfrey, sweeping over with her evening dose of medicine. Is Lockhart the smarmiest bloke you've ever met, or what? Ron said to Harry as they left the infirmary and started up the stairs toward Gryffindor Tower. Snape had given them so much homework, Harry thought he was likely to be in the sixth year before he had finished it. Ron was just saying he wished he had asked Hermione how many rat tails you were supposed to add to a hair-raising potion when an angry outburst from the floor above reached their ears. That's Filch, Harry muttered as they hurried up the stairs and paused, out of sight listening hard. "'You don't think someone else has been attacked?' said Ron tensely. They stood still. Their heads inclined toward Filch's voice, which sounded quite hysterical. "'Even more work for me, mopping all night like I haven't got enough to do! No, this is the final straw! I'm going to Dumbledore!' His footsteps receded out of the out-of-sight corridor, and they heard a distant door slam. They poked their heads around the corner. Filch had clearly been manning his usual lookout post. They were once again on the spot where Mrs. Norris had been attacked. They saw at a glance what Filch had been shouting about. A great flood of water stretched over half of the corridor, and it looked as though it was still seeping from under the door of Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Now that Filch had stopped shouting, they could hear Myrtle's wails echoing off the bathroom walls. Now what's up with her? said Ron. Let's go and see, said Harry, and holding their robes over their heads. Nope, nope, not over their heads. I made that same mistake last week. 
Holding their robes over their ankles, they stepped through the great wash of water to the door bearing its out-of-order sign, ignored it as usual, and entered. Moaning Myrtle was crying, if possible, louder and harder than ever before. She seemed to be hiding down her usual toilet. It was dark in the bathroom because the candles had been extinguished in the great rush of water that had left both walls and the floor soaking wet. "'What's up, Myrtle?' said Harry. "'Who's that?' glugged Myrtle miserably. "'Come to throw something else at me?' Harry waded across to her stall and said, "'Why would I throw something at you?' "'Don't ask me!' Myrtle shouted, emerging with a wave of yet more water which splashed onto the already sopping floor. "'Here I am, minding my own business, and someone thinks it's funny to throw a book at me!' "'But it can't hurt you if someone throws something at you,' said Harry reasonably. "'I mean, it would just go right through you, wouldn't it?' He had said the wrong thing. Myrtle puffed herself up and shrieked, "'Let's all throw books at Myrtle, cause she can't feel it! Ten points if you can get it through her stomach, fifty points if it goes through her head!' Well, ha, 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 what a lovely game, I don't think. Who threw it at you, anyway? asked Harry. I don't know. I was just sitting in the U-bend, thinking about death, and it fell right through the top of my head, said Myrtle, glaring at them. It's over here, it got washed out. Harry and Ron looked under the sink where Myrtle was pointing. A small, thin book lay there. It had a shabby black cover and was wet as everything else in the bathroom. Harry stepped forward to pick it up, but Ron suddenly flung out an arm to hold him back. What? said Harry. Are you crazy? said Ron. It could be dangerous. <laughs> dangerous? said Harry, laughing. Oh, come off it. How could it be dangerous? You'll be surprised, said Ron, who was looking apprehensively at the book. Some of the books that the ministry's confiscated. Dad's told me there was this one that burnt your eyes out. And everyone who read sonnets of a sorcerer spoke in limericks for the rest of their lives. And some old witch in Bath had a book you could never stop reading. You just had to wander around with your nose in it, trying to do everything one-handed. And... All right, all right, I've got the point, said Harry. The little book lay on the floor, nondescript and soggy. "'Well, we won't find out unless we look at it,' he said, and he ducked around Ron and picked it up off the floor. Harry saw at once that it was a diary, and the faded year on the cover told him it was fifty years old. He opened it eagerly. On the first page he could just make out the name T.M. Riddle in smudged ink. "'Hang on,' said Ron, who had approached cautiously and was looking over Harry's shoulder. "'Know that name?' T.M. Riddle got an award for special services to the school about fifty years ago. How on earth do you know that? said Harry in amazement. Because Filch made me polish his shield about fifty times in detention, said Ron resentfully. That was the one I burped slugs all over. If you'd wiped slime off a name for an hour, you'd remember it too. Harry peeled the wet pages apart. They were completely blank. There wasn't the faintest trace of any writing on them, not even Auntie Mabel's birthday or dentist half-past three. 
He never wrote in it, said Harry, disappointed. I wonder why some would wanted to flush it away, said Ron curiously. Harry turned to the back cover of the book and saw the printed name of a variety store on Vauxhall Road, London. He must have been Muggleborn, said Harry thoughtfully. To have bought a diary from Vauxhall Road. Well, it's not much use to you, said Ron. He dropped his voice. Fifty points if you can get it through Myrtle's nose. Harry, however, pocketed it. Hermione left the hospital wing, de-whiskered, tailless, and fur-free at the beginning of February. On her first evening back in Gryffindor Tower, Harry showed her T.M. Riddle's diary and told her the story of how they had found it. Ooh, it might have hidden powers, said Hermione enthusiastically, taking the diary and looking at it closely. If it has, it's hiding them very well, said Ron. Maybe it's shy. I don't know why you don't chuck it, Harry. I wish I knew why someone did try to chuck it, said Harry. I wouldn't mind knowing how Riddle got an award for special services to Hogwarts, either. Could have been anything, said Ron. Maybe he got thirty OWLs or saved the teacher from the giant squid. Maybe he murdered Myrtle. That would have done everyone a favour. Ron, please. But Harry could tell from the arrested look on Hermione's face that she was thinking what he was thinking. What? said Ron, looking from one to the other. Well, the Chamber of Secrets was opened fifty years ago, wasn't it? he said. That's what Malfoy said. Yeah, said Ron slowly. And this diary is fifty years old, said Hermione, tapping it excitedly. So? Oh, Ron, wake up, snapped Hermione. We know the person who opened the chamber last time was expelled fifty years ago. We know T.M. Riddle got an award for special services to the school fifty years ago. But what if Riddle got his special award for catching the heir of Slytherin? His diary would probably tell us everything. Where the chamber is and how to open it and what sort of creature lives in it. The person who's hiding the attacks this time wouldn't want that lying around, would they? Oh, that's a brilliant theory, Hermione, said Ron. With just one tiny little flaw. There's nothing written in his diary. But Hermione was pulling her wand out of her bag. It might be invisible ink, she whispered. She tapped the diary three times and said, Aparicium. Nothing happened. Undaunted, Hermione shoved her hand back into her bag and pulled out what appeared to be a bright red eraser. It's a revealer. I got it in Diagon Alley, she said. She rubbed hard on January 1st. Nothing happened. I'm telling you there's nothing to find in there, said Ron. Riddle just got a diary for Christmas and couldn't be bothered filling it in. Harry couldn't explain, even to himself, why he didn't just throw Riddle's diary away. The fact was, even though he knew the diary was blank, he kept absent-mindedly picking it up and turning the pages, as though it were a story he wanted to finish. And while Harry was sure he had never heard the name T.M. Riddle before, it still seemed to mean something to him, almost as though Riddle was a friend he'd had when he was very small, and had half forgotten. But this was absurd. He'd never had friends before Hogwarts. Dudley had made sure of that. 
Nevertheless, Harry was determined to find out more about Riddle, so the next day at break, he headed for the trophy room to examine... He headed for the trophy room to examine Riddle's special award, accompanied by an interested Hermione and a thoroughly unconvinced Ron, who told him he'd seen enough of the trophy room to last a lifetime. Thing too, would it be even bigger than I'd still be pullishing it, said Ron. However, they did find Riddle's name in an old medal for magical merit, and on a list of old head boys. He sounds like Percy, said Ron, wriggling his nose and dis- wrinkling his nose, not wriggling his nose. Prefect, head boy, probably top of every class. You say that like it's a bad thing, said Hermione in a slightly hurt voice. The sun had now begun to shine weakly on Hogwarts again. Inside the castle, the mood had grown more hopeful. Oh, hey, Luke. Thank you for joining us. Sounding good now? Just jumped on. Excellent. Thanks for the update. The sun had now begun to shine weakly on Hogwarts again. Inside the castle, the moon had grown more hopeful. There had been no more attacks since those on Justin and Nearly Headless Nick, and Madame Pomfrey was pleased to report that the Mandrakes were becoming moody and secretive, meaning they were fast leaving childhood. That might be one of my favorite lines in all the books. The moment their acne clears up, they'll be ready for repotting again. Harry heard her telling Filch kindly one afternoon. After that, won't be long till we're cutting them up and stewing them. You'll have Mrs. Norris back in no time. Perhaps the heir of Slytherin had lost his or her nerve, thought Harry. It must be getting riskier and riskier to open the Chamber of Secrets, with the school so alert and suspicious. Perhaps the monster, whatever it was, was even now settling itself down to hibernate for another fifty years. Ernie McMillan of Hufflepuff didn't seem to take this cheerful view. He was still convinced that Harry was the guilty one, that he had given himself away at the dueling club. Peeves wasn't helping matters. He kept popping up in crowded corridors, singing, Oh, Potter, you rotter! Now, with a dance routine to match. Gilderoy Lockhart seemed to think he himself had made the attack stop. Harry overheard him telling Professor McGonagall so when the Gryffindors were lining up for transfiguration. I don't think there'll be any more trouble, Minerva, he said, tapping his nose knowingly and winking. I think the chamber has been locked for good this time. The culprit must have known it was only a matter of time before I caught him. Rather sensible to stop now, before I came down hard on him. You know... What the school needs now is a morale booster. Wash away the memories of last term. I won't say any more just now, but I think I know just the thing. He tapped his nose again and strode off. Lockhart's idea of a morale booster became clear at breakfast the next morning. February 14th. Harry hadn't had much sleep because of the late-running Quidditch practice the night before, and he hurried down to the Great Hall slightly late. He thought for a moment that he'd walked through the wrong doors. The walls were all covered with large, lurid pink flowers. Worse still, heart-shaped confetti was falling from the pale blue ceiling. Harry went over to the Gryffindor table, where Ron was sitting looking sickened, and Hermione seemed to have been overcome with giggles. What's going on? Nope, that's not Harry. What's going on? Harry asked them, sitting down and wiping confetti off his bacon. Ron pointed to the teacher's table, apparently too disgusted to speak. 
Lockhart, wearing lurid pink robes to match the decorations, were waving for, was waving for... Hmm. Hello! Lockhart, wearing lurid pink robes to match the decorations, was waving for silence. The teachers on either side of him were looking stony-faced. From where he sat, Harry could see a muscle going in Professor McGonagall's cheek. Snape looked as though someone had just fed him a large beaker of Skelligrow. Happy Valentine's Day, said Lockhart. And may I thank the 46 people who have so far sent me cards? Yes, I have taken the liberty of arranging this little surprise for all of you, and it doesn't end here. Lockhart clapped his hands, and through the doors to the entrance hall marched a dozen surly-looking dwarfs. Not just any dwarfs, however. Lockhart had them all wearing golden wings and carrying harps. My friendly card-carrying cupids, beamed Lockhart. They'll be roving around the school today, delivering your valentines. And the fun doesn't stop there. I'm sure my colleagues would want to enter into the spirit of the occasion. Why not ask Professor Snape to show you how to whip up a love potion? And while you're at it, Professor Flitwick knows more about entrancing enchantments than any wizard I've ever met, the sly old dog. Professor Flitwick buried his face in his hands. Snape was looking through the first... Snape was looking as though the first person to ask him for a love potion would be force-fed poison. Please, Hermione, tell me you weren't one of those forty-six people, said Ron as they left the Great Hall for their first lesson. Hermione suddenly became very interested in searching her bag for her schedule and didn't answer. All day long, the dwarves kept barging into their classes to deliver valentines to the annoyance of the teachers, and late that afternoon, as the Gryffindors were walking upstairs for charms, one of the dwarfs caught up to Harry. Oi, you! Harry Potter! shouted a particularly grim-looking dwarf, elbowing people out of the way to get to Harry. Hot all over at the thought of being given a valentine in front of the line of first years, which happened to include Ginny Weasley, Harry tried to escape. The dwarf, however, cut his way through the crowd by kicking people's shins and reached him before he'd gone two paces. I've got a musical message to deliver to Harry Potter in person, he said, twanging his harp in a threatening sort of way. Not here, Harry hissed, trying to escape. Stay still, grunted the dwarf, grabbing hold of Harry's bag and pulling him back. Let me go, Harry snarled, tugging. With a loud ripping noise, his bag split in two. His books, wand, parchment, and quill spilled onto the floor, and his ink bottle smashed over everything. Harry scrambled around, trying to pick it all up before the dwarf started singing, causing something of a hold-up in the corridor. What's going on here? came the cold, drawling voice of Draco Malfoy. Harry started stuffing everything feverishly into his ripped bag, desperate to get away before Malfoy could hear his musical valentine. "'What's all this commotion?' said another familiar voice as Percy Weasley arrived. Losing his head, Harry tried to make a run for it, but the dwarf seized him around the knees and brought him crashing to the floor. "'Right,' he said, sitting on Harry's ankles. "'Here is your singing valentine.' His eyes are as green as a fresh-pickled toad, his hair is as dark as a blackboard. I wish he was mine, he's really divine. The hero who conquered the Dark Lord. 
Harry would have given all the gold in Gringotts to evaporate on the spot. Trying valiantly to laugh with everyone else, he got to his feet, numb from the weight of the dwarf, as Percy Weasley did his best to disperse the crowd, some of whom were crying with mirth. Off you go, off you go, the bell rang five minutes ago. Off to class now, he said, shooing some of the younger students away. And you, Malfoy. Harry glanced over and saw Malfoy stoop to snatch something up. Leering, he showed it to Crabbe and Goyle, and Harry realized that he'd got Riddle's diary. Give that back, said Harry quietly. I wonder what Potter's written in this, said Malfoy, who obviously hadn't noticed the year on the cover and thought he had Harry's own diary. A hush fell over the onlookers. Ginny was staring from the diary to Harry, looking terrified. Hand it over, Malfoy, said Percy sternly. When I've had a look, said Malfoy, waving the diary tauntingly at Harry. Percy said, As a school prefect, but Harry had lost his temper. He pulled out his wand and shouted, Expelliarmus! And just as Snape had disarmed Lockhart, so Malfoy found the diary shooting out of his hand into the air. Ron, grinning broadly, caught it. Harry, said Percy loudly, no magic in the corridors. I'll have to report this, you know. But Harry didn't care. He was one up on Malfoy, and that was worth five points from Gryffindor any day. Malfoy was looking furious, and as Ginny passed him to enter her classroom, he yelled spitefully after her, I don't think Potter liked your valentine much. Ginny covered her face with her hands and ran into class. Snarling, Ron pulled out his wand too, but Harry pulled him away. Ron didn't need to spend the whole of charms belching slugs. It wasn't until they had reached Professor Flitwick's class that Harry noticed something rather odd about Riddle's diary. All his other books were drenched in scarlet ink. The diary, however, was as clean as it had been before the ink bottle had smashed all over it. He tried to point this out to Ron, but Ron was having trouble with his wand again. Large purple bubbles were blossoming out of the end, and he wasn't much interested in anything else. Harry went to bed before anyone else in the dormitory that night. This was partly because he didn't think he could stand Fred and George singing, His eyes are as green as a fresh-pickled toad, one more time, and partly because he wanted to examine Riddle's diary again, and he knew that Ron thought he was wasting his time. Harry sat on his four-poster and flicked through the blank pages, not one of which had a trace of scarlet ink on it. Then he pulled a new bottle out of his bedside cabinet, dipped his quill into it, and dropped a blot onto the first page of the diary. The ink shone brightly on the paper for a second, then, as though it was being sucked into the page, it vanished. Excited, Harry loaded up his quill a second time and wrote, My name is Harry Potter. The words shone momentarily on the page, and they too sank without a trace. Then, at last, something happened. Oozing back out of the page in his very own ink came words that Harry had never written. Hello, Harry Potter. My name is Tom Riddle. How did you come by my diary? These words, too, faded away, but not before Harry had started to scribble back. Someone tried to flush it down a toilet. He waited eagerly for Riddle's reply. 
lucky that I recorded my memories in some more lasting way than ink, but I always knew there would be those who did not want this diary read. What do you mean? Harry scrawled, blotting the page in his excitement. I mean that this diary holds memories of terrible things, things that were colored up, things that happened at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. That's where I am now, Harry wrote quickly. I'm at Hogwarts and horrible stuff's been happening. Do you know anything about the Chamber of Secrets? His heart was hammering. Riddle's reply came quickly, his writing becoming untidier as though he were hurrying to tell all he knew. Of course I know about the Chamber of Secrets. In my day they told us this was a legend, that it did not exist. But this was a lie. In my fifth year the chamber was open and the monster attacked several students, finally killing one. I caught the person who'd opened the chamber and he was expelled. But the headmaster, Professor Dippet, ashamed that such a thing had happened at Hogwarts, forbade me to tell the truth. The story was given out that the girl had died in a freak accident. They gave me a nice, shiny, engraved trophy for my trouble and warned me to keep my mouth shut. But I knew it could happen again. The monster lived on, and the one who had the power to release it was not imprisoned. Harry nearly upset his ink bottle in his hurry to write back. It's happening again now. There have been three attacks, and no one seems to know who's behind them. Who was it last time? I can show you if you like, came Riddle's reply. You don't have to take my word for it. I can take you inside my memory of the night I caught him. Harry hesitated, his quill suspended over the diary. What did Riddle mean? How could he be taken inside somebody else's memory? He glanced nervously at the door to the dormitory, which was growing dark. When he looked back at the diary, he saw fresh words forming. Let me show you. Harry paused for a fraction of a second and then wrote two letters. Okay. The pages of the diary began to blow as though caught in a high wind, stopping halfway through the month of June. Mouth hanging open, Harry saw that the little square for June 13th seemed to have turned into a minuscule television screen. His hands trembling slightly, he raised the book to press his eye against the little window, and before he knew what was happening, he was tilting forward. The window was widening. He felt his body leave the bed, and he was pitched headfirst through the opening onto the page. Into a whirl of color and shadow. He felt his feet hit solid ground and stood, shaking, as the blurred shapes around him came suddenly into focus. He knew immediately where he was. This circular room with the sleeping portraits was Dumbledore's office. But it wasn't Dumbledore who was sitting behind the desk. A wizened, frail-looking wizard, bald except for a few wisps of white hair, was reading a letter by candlelight. Harry had never seen this man before. I'm sorry, he said shakily. I didn't mean to butt in. But the wizard didn't look up. He continued to read, frowning slightly. Harry drew nearer to his desk and stammered, Um, I'll just go, shall I? Still, the wizard ignored him. He didn't seem to have even heard him. Thinking that the wizard might be deaf, Harry raised his voice. Sorry to disturb you, I'll go now, he half-shouted. 
The wizard folded up the letter with a sigh, stood up, walked past Harry without glancing at him, and went to draw the curtains at his window. The sky outside the window was ruby red. It seemed to be sunset. The wizard went back to the desk, sat down, and twiddled his thumbs, watching the door. Harry looked around the office. No fox the phoenix, no whirring silver contraptions. This was Hogwarts as Riddle had known it, meaning that this unknown wizard was the headmaster, not Dumbledore, and he, Harry, was little more than a phantom, completely invisible to the people of fifty years ago. There was a knock on the office door. Now, before we get into this, I just want to talk about this really quick. Uh, I'm sure that any Harry Potter fans out there who frequent the internet have seen the trailers for the next um, Newt Scamander movie, the next Harry Potter universe movie. Uh, and so I wonder if um, we're going to meet Professor Dippet in that movie. I don't think we saw him in the original seven, excuse me, eight films. Um, except maybe in a portrait, but this, you know, would have been the time that I imagine Dumbledore was doing things as a teacher. Who knows? Who knows what he was up to? Maybe we'll find out. Um, there was a knock at the office door. Enter, said the old wizard in a feeble voice. A boy of about sixteen entered, taking off his pointed hat. A silver prefix badge was glinting on his chest. He was much taller than Harry, but he, too, had jet-black hair. Ah, Riddle, said the headmaster. You wanted to see me, Professor Dippet, said Riddle. He looked nervous. Sit down, said Dippet. I've just been reading the letter you sent me. Oh, said Riddle. He sat down gripping his hands together very tightly. My dear boy, said Dippet kindly, I, ca I cannot possibly let you stay here at school over the summer. Surely you want to go home for the holidays. No, said Riddle at once. I'd much rather stay at Hogwarts than go back to that... to that... You live in a muggle orphanage during the holidays, I believe? said Dippet curiously. Yes, sir, said Riddle, reddening slightly. Are you a muggle-born? Half-blood, sir, said Riddle. Muggle-father, witch-mother. And are both of your parents? My mother died just after I was born, sir. They told me at my... at the orphanage she lived just long enough to name me. Tom, after my father, Marvolo after my grandfather. Dippet clicked his tongue sympathetically. The, the, the thing is, Tom, he sighed, special arrangements might have been made for you, but in the current circumstances... You mean all these attacks, sir? said Riddle, and Harry's heart leapt, and he moved closer, scared of missing anything. Precisely, said the headmaster. My dear boy, you must see how foolish it would be for me to allow you to remain at the castle when the term ends, particularly in light of the recent tragedy, the death of that poor little girl. You will be safer by far at your orphanage. 
As, as a matter of fact, the Ministry of Magic is even now talking about closing the school. We are no nearer to locating the, um, uh, the source of this unpleasantness. Riddle's eyes had widened. Sir, if the person was caught, if it all stopped... What do you mean? said Dibbit with a squeak in his voice, sitting up in his chair. Riddle? Riddle, do you know something about these uh, attacks? No, sir, said Riddle quickly. But Harry was sure it was the same sort of no that he himself had given Dumbledore. Dippet sank back, looking faintly disappointed. Uh, you, you may go, Tom. Riddle slid off his chair and slouched out of the room. Harry followed him. Down the moving spiral staircase they went, emerging next to the gargoyle in the darkening corridor. Riddle stopped, and so did Harry, watching him. Harry could tell that Riddle was doing some serious thinking. He was biting his lip, his forehead furrowed. Then, as though he had suddenly reached a decision, he hurried off, Harry gliding noiselessly behind him. They didn't see another person until they reached the entrance hall, when a tall wizard with long, sweeping auburn hair and a beard called Riddle to... called to Riddle from the marble staircase. What are you doing, wandering around this late, Tom? Harry gaped at the wizard. He was none other than a fifty years younger Dumbledore. What'd I tell you? I had to see the headmaster, sir, said Riddle. Well, hurry off to bed, said Dumbledore, giving Riddle exactly the kind of penetrating stare Harry knew so well. Best not to roam the corridors these days. Not since... He sighed heavily, bade Riddle good night, and strode off. Riddle watched him walk out of sight, and then, moving quickly, straight down the stone steps to the dungeon, with Harry in hot pursuit. But to Harry's disappointment, Riddle led him not into a hidden passageway or a secret tunnel, but to the very dungeon in which Harry had potions with Snape. The torches hadn't been lit, and when Riddle pushed the door, almost closed, Harry could only just see him, standing stock still by the door, watching the passage outside. It felt to Harry that they were there for at least an hour. All he could see was the figure of Riddle at the door, staring through the crack waiting like a statue. And just when Harry had stopped feeling expectant and tense and started wishing he could return to the present, he heard something move beyond the door. Someone was creeping along the passage. He heard whoever it was past the dungeon where he and Riddle were hidden. Riddle, quiet as a shadow, edged through the door and followed. Harry tiptoeing behind him, forgetting he couldn't be heard. For perhaps five minutes they followed the footsteps, until Riddle stopped suddenly, his head inclined in the direction of new noises. Harry heard a door creak open, and then someone speaking in a hoarse whisper. Come on! Gotta get you out of here! Come on now! In the box! There was something familiar about that voice. Riddle suddenly jumped around the corner. Harry stepped out behind him. He could see the dark outline of a hu 
outline. He could see the dark outline of a huge boy who was crouching in front of the open door, a very large box next to it. Evening, Rubius, said Riddle sharply. The boy slammed the door shut and stood up. What are you doing down here, Tom? Riddle stepped closer. It's all over, he said. I'm going to have to turn you in, Rubius. You're talking about closing Hogwarts if the attacks don't stop. What are you... I don't think you meant to kill anyone, but monsters don't make good pets. I suppose you just let it out for exercise, and... It never killed no one, said the large boy, backing against the closed door. From behind him, Harry could hear a funny rustling and clicking. Come on, Rubius, said Riddle, moving yet closer. The dead girl's parents will be here tomorrow. The least Hogwarts can do is make sure that the thing that killed their daughter is slaughtered. It wasn't him, roared the boy, his voice echoing in the dark passage. He wouldn't! He never! Stand aside, said Riddle, drawing out his wand. His spell lit the corridor with a sudden flaming light. The door behind the large boy flew open with such force it knocked him into the wall opposite, and out of it came something that made Harry let out a long, piercing scream unheard by anyone. A vast, low-slung, hairy body in a tangle of black legs, a gleam of many eyes and a pair of razor-sharp pinchers. Riddle raised his wand again, but he was too late. The thing bowled him over as it scuttled away, tearing up the corridor and out of sight. Riddle scrambled to his feet, looked after it. He raised his wand, but the huge boy leapt on him, seized his wand, and threw him back down, yelling, No! The scene whirled. The darkness became complete. Harry felt himself falling, and with a crash he landed spread eagle on his four-poster in the Gryffindor dormitory, Riddle's diary lying open on his stomach. Before he had had time to regain his breath, the dormitory door opened and Ron came in. There you are, he said. Harry sat up. He was sweating and shaking. What's up? said Ron, looking at him with concern. It was Hagrid, Ron. Hagrid opened the Chamber of Secrets fifty years ago. That is the end of chapter 13. In all the books, that is one of my favorite big reveals. One of the big twists we see. So, Harry has just seen evidence that Hagrid was the one who opened the Chamber of Secrets, and he got a, got a glimpse of a... Speak, Samuel. He got a glimpse of a beast. Now, what do we know about Hagrid? He seems like a fantastic guy, but he is obsessed with monsters of all shapes and sizes. He tried to raise a, a a dragon on his own. He's a not a maniac necessarily, but he does seem like he's got a natural predilection toward these things. As you guys know, I am going to take a five-minute break. I may do some uh, some discussion. I am hoping to do some discussion. Uh, as prompted by you. So if you've got anything you'd like to talk about, even if it's just like, I don't know what that word means. You said, um, 
there was an interesting one in there. I don't remember what it was. Uh, but if it's uh, anything you'd like to discuss, Luke, I don't imagine you'll be on the list of people who don't know what a word means. But if anybody has anything they'd like to talk about, please feel free to put it into chat. And I'll talk about it as soon as I get back. Um, you know me. I'll probably be gone about five minutes or so. But feel free to drop things into the chat. If you're just joining us, I will give you a summary of what we've just read this chapter. And then we'll go into chapter 14. Hello, wonderful people. Anybody just jumping in, I'm Sam. This is Sidecar Stories, and I've got stuff to talk about in chat. Luke wonders, what is my favorite side villain? Quirrell, Lockhart, Wormtail, Barty Crouch Jr., Umbridge. Okay, uh, I'm going to start with not Lockhart. He's not, he's not high on my list. I think he's got, I don't know. He, I would say, has a... It's it's too it's too transparent for me. I know too much about his story. I can see too much into his past, even the stuff that they don't talk about. And we'll be getting to you know some of the elements of uh, what his past was like. But it seems to me like when I when I read through it, I sort of understand basically what it was probably like. You know what his true experiences were, his inspiration to write. The one that really fascinates me is either Quirrell or Wormtail. And that's because I, I think I would love to see how they got to where they are. We learned very, very little about Quirrell um, in terms of you know what his journey was like. I think we, they covered in one paragraph uh, basically how he got hooked up with Voldemort in the first place. I want to know what, what was that. It, it seems like it would make a great movie in a different genre you know how the 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 marvel universe they've been doing the you know big superhero movie but now they're starting to branch out they're you know uh, we see uh things from the x-men um that are more you know horror thriller movie we're seeing ant-man which leans much more toward the comedy side i would love to see the quarrel uh suspense thriller directed by uh john krasinski i, I want to see it done by the whole team who did Oh, goodness. No, I'm not going to be able to think of the name of the movie. Come on. Quiet Place. I want to see it done by that team. The story of Quarrel off in the forest of... Goodness, was it Serbia? And finding this collapsed spirit of a human being. Um, and then Wormtail. Just sort of the the dedication, the, the amount of trauma you have to go through, the amount of of will that it would take to flee um flee your enemies your former friends for so long boy i better not blow too much here but uh uh to to be in hiding for such a long time and then on top of that all of the the fascinating choices he makes later on in the coming books so i think uh, I want to hear more about Quirrell, but I think Wormtail's probably my my number one. Um, Body Crouch is another one that I think I can understand his path pretty well. And then Umbridge. I think I fall on Umbridge the same way that a lot of people do, which is, you know, Umbridge compares almost to Voldemort in the way that we react to him, and I think uh, there's been some excellent writing uh, on Tumblr 
about the subject of umbrage and how people react to her and how people feel about her and why so i say that i guess what the question i really answered there is which one is my most intriguing side villain i think that's where i'd go with it um yeah obviously if you've got anything else i'd love to talk about that as well i am gonna oh there we go luke says the actor was so campy but that kind of uh so that kind of ruined quarrel for me but his story itself is interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm wondering if they're going to touch on that in some of these Newt's Commander movies. It seems like we're sort of approaching Hogwarts. I don't know if we're there. You know, we look at uh, John Krasinski doing anything seems great to me. Yeah, yeah, I was I was really impressed. I was hoping I wasn't going to have to be like, you're great in the office, you know, well done on that. High five for making your own movie, but it turned out to be a fantastic movie. Um, but yeah, it seems like, uh, in the most, in, in the first Newt's Commander movie, uh, first Fantastic Beasts movie, I don't know how they're gonna, you know, sort of qualify the, this current series of Harry Potter films, Wizarding World films, goodness, yeah, I don't know, the, so I'll just say the first Newt's Commander movie, um, we seem to be very disconnected from Hogwarts, now we're seeing young Dumbledore in the trailers, we're seeing, um, old ministries of magic we see the actual school itself so i i'm interested to see interested to see which old characters we get to see i'm hoping i don't know i was gonna say i hope we get to see a lot of them and that we don't just sort of see dumbledore and newt's commander and you know the old minister of magic and uh grindelwald i'm hoping they don't leave it with that but I'm also realizing I'm hoping they don't, uh, you know, try to pack in too many old references. Like, oh, there's young uh, Hagrid. Oh, there's, you know, this. Uh, I guess there wouldn't be too terribly many opportunities to do that because it's so far rewound in time. But I don't know. I would like, I would like it to be handled tastefully. But I'm always, I'm always so hungry for it. And I think this is one of the things that gets fandoms in trouble is that they always want something more they always want that next little hit of something anything from these universes that we've come to know so much and then much like uh my understanding of sort of drug related addictions um or any addiction i guess our addiction to this particular universe is never satisfied properly we'll have things that are that hit us really well that we enjoy a lot that we can get a lot of joy from but there are always those people who were hoping for a huge hit and they get something small something tasteful something well thought out and it's just not enough and i've been there before you know i don't i don't consider myself to be like a diehard fan of star wars for instance um but sometimes i watch it and i just think like I just want so much more. I want so much more from, uh, I want to learn so much more about the history of this place. Being a writer, it, uh, it frustrates, my own behavior frustrates me sometimes because I, I look at these things and I realize, you know, people want to tell new stories and there's no winning in telling old stories, you know, in telling more around old stories because somebody always has this idea in their heads of what it was like. Um, 
every every individual person has different things about the old stories different things about harry potter we'll you know couch it in our current terms everyone has something different about harry potter that really really struck them for some people it would have been you know if we if we talk about strictly character wise um you know some people harry potter was really special to them because of their relationship with harry and um, his feelings of loneliness and suddenly belonging somewhere and working really hard to to become something. Some people found Harry Potter to be really special because of Hermione and, and how they felt like they, uh, you know, might have been on the outside, but they worked really hard at something. They got good at something and they were able to see how that carried her into a, uh, uh, through a great story. Because of that, when, when you know, one person or a group of people come back and write a next installment, or even J.K. Rowling herself comes out and writes a next installment, people look at that and say, well, that's not, that's not special to me in the same way. And they don't know necessarily how to process that, and sometimes that can come out as fury, uh, oftentimes on Twitter or something silly like that, but... There was a lot of uh, there was a there was a storm cloud that surrounded uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I think there were a number of reasons for that, but uh, I think a lot of them boiled down to people find things special for different reasons, and so trying to recreate that feeling, you can't recreate it for everybody. All right, I'm going into my summary. If anybody has anything else they'd like to discuss. Go ahead and put it in chat. I would love to talk about it. That is why I do this. That and because I get to do um, Peeves' voice. It's really, it's really the discussion and Peeves. Those are my two big reasons for doing this. <laughs> Potter, you rotter. Um, so, chapter 13, for anybody joining us over break or since break... Um, we got to see Hermione on the, on the mend in the hospital wing. She, uh, got some bad, she made herself some, a bad batch of, uh, polyjuice potion and ended up as a cat, but she's on the mend. Uh, Harry and Ron go to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom and find out that there's some odd book that's been discarded in the bathroom. They take a look at it and it would seem to be completely empty, but from 50 years ago and belonging to a person named T.M. Riddle. Uh, they look through it, and Harry and Hermione make the connection. The chamber was open 50 years ago. This book is from 50 years ago. Maybe there's a connection between T.M. Riddle and whoever opened the Chamber of Secrets. Luke says, I think uh, J.K. has struck a really great balance with new stories with Pottermore. It's like a soft launch for any new detail she wants to explore. I agree completely. I think uh, it was very smart of her. I think it didn't demand that anybody accept anything as canon. You know, if she had written a, a, a another book, I think I, th I think she, there would be an outcry, which is silly. But uh, if she had written another, you know, just book eight of the original Harry Potter series, um, obviously it would be tough because it's you know it is a closed story in seven books, but it was a really smart decision to, like you said, it's you know it's a soft launch for for new details, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't expect people to accept everything there as as fact as canon. 
you know, people talk about headcanon all the time, and I think it might be one of the biggest advantages, you know, one, one of the most important assets for a fandom, and also one of their biggest enemies <laughs> is headcanon. Uh, but it's totally unavoidable, as far as I can see it. Uh, also, I think it was fortunate on that side that um, she has obviously a lot of universe built up outside of the books or surrounding the books, the original seven. Um, and she was, you know, when you're writing, you can't include all of the universe, especially if you've done a lot of universe building, which Harry Potter is a masterwork of universe building. It is, it is just awe-inspiring. Um, there are moments when I just pause and I think that was just the smartest possible thing. But uh, effective world building does not include the whole universe because world building, you know, if anybody out there is interested in writing um, and has done any world building, you'll know you don't really turn it off. It approaches you uh, at its own whim. The smart thing to do when you're translating that into writing is not to include everything. You, you can only include so much. Uh, yeah, no, it's okay that the, uh, the comments take a little while to reach me. That's actually on my end. I've got a, a delay, um, so that the video reaches you more clearly. I do wish it was different, but I'm in, uh, I'm in an apartment with, uh, other people and even our base internet isn't fantastic. So, you know, we do what we can. I'm glad we get to have the discussion regardless. And I'm glad you did see Fantastic Beasts, because that was a good movie. Never fear about comments. Keep them coming. Um, so they find this diary. Doesn't appear to be anything in it, but it seems like maybe there's a connection, perhaps, in timing, uh, between T.M. Riddle and the Chamber of Secrets. Maybe he knows who opened it. Lockhart. Lockhart thinks he got the monster to go away he throws a big uh valentine's day celebration he's got you know singing dwarves around to give people singing valentines harry ends up getting one uh maybe it was from Ginny weasley based on an offhanded comment from malfoy uh but malfoy and harry get into a bit of a scuffle and in the process malfoy gets his hands on riddle's diary not only that, but uh, the diary gets a bottle of ink smashed over it. Harry realizes this and says, well, okay, everything else in my bag is covered with ink. This doesn't seem to have gotten anything on it, even though I know the ink spilled on this as well. So he does a little bit more exploration and realizes there's some sort of intelligent entity inside the diary. When he writes in the diary, he gets responses in writing from the diary. So he'll write something down, then uh, he'll see the text appear in front of him as though written by some unseen hand, and it tells him a story. It turns out the owner, T.M. Riddle, uh, attended Hogwarts and recorded his thoughts in this diary in a more permanent way because he wasn't allowed to talk about what happened with the Chamber of Secrets 50 years ago. Turns out he caught the person who op who opened it and was given a, a sort of a hush hush order and a few small rewards. Harry recognizes the person who opened the chamber, and it was a young Hagrid. That is what we see in Riddle's memory. Obviously, this is enough to freak Harry out substantially, and he tells Ron, and that is where the chapter ended. All right, Luke. Anybody else? If you've got any more commentary or questions, concerns, 
go ahead and put them in chat. I love talking about them. Uh, and I don't really mind pausing along the way. There are audiobooks that were done much better than I've done them. Um, and if people are looking for a perfect version of this story read out loud, I encourage you to go there. What we are here to do is um, it's really to interact with Peeves. It's just to read Peeves. That's why we're here. All right. I'm going to commence. Chapter 14, Cornelius Fudge. Harry, Ron, and Hermione had always known Hagrid had an unfortunate liking for large and monstrous creatures. During their first year at Hogwarts, he had tried to raise a dragon in his little wooden house, and it would be a long time before they forgot the giant three-headed dog he'd christened Fluffy. And if, as a boy, Hagrid had heard about a monster that was hidden somewhere in the castle, Harry was sure he would have gone at any length for a glimpse of it. He probably thought it was a shame that the monster had been cooped up so long, and thought it deserved a chance to stretch its many legs. Harry could just imagine the thirteen-year-old Hagrid trying to fit a leash and collar on it. But he was equally certain that Hagrid would never have meant to kill anybody. Harry half-wished he wouldn't have found out how to work Riddle's diary. Again and again, Ron and Hermione made him recount what he'd seen, until he was heartily sick of telling them and sick of the long, circular conversations that followed. Riddle might have got the wrong person, said Hermione. Maybe it was some other monster that was attacking people. How many monsters do you think this place can hold? Ron asked dully. We always knew Hagrid had been expelled, said Harry miserably. And the attacks must have stopped after Hagrid was kicked out, otherwise Riddle would have not gotten his award. Ron tried a different tack. Riddle does sound like Percy. Who asked him to squeal on Hagrid anyway? But the monster had killed someone, Ron, said Hermione. And Riddle was going back to some muggle orphanage if they closed Hogwarts, said Harry. I don't blame him for wanting to stay here. You met Hagrid down Nocturn Alley, didn't you, Harry? He was buying a flesh-eating slug repellent, said Harry quickly. The three of them fell silent. After a long pause, Hermione voiced the naughtiest question of all, in a hesitant voice. Naughtiest. K-N-O-T-T-I-E-S-T. Do you think we should go and ask Hagrid about it all? Oh, that'd be a cheerful visit, said Ron. Hello, Hagrid. Tell us, have you been setting anything mad and hairy loose in the castle lately? In the end, they decided they would not say anything to Hagrid unless there was another attack. And as more and more days went with no whisper from the embodied... With no whisper from the disembodied voice, they became hopeful they would never need to talk to him about why he had been expelled. It was now nearly four months since Justin and nearly headless Nick had been petrified, and nearly everybody seemed to think that the attacker whoever it was, had retired for good. Peeves had finally gotten bored of this Oh, Potter, you rotter! song. Oh. Ernie McMillan asked Harry quite politely to pass a bucket of leaping toadstools in herbology one day, and in March, several of the mandrakes threw a loud and raucous party in Greenhouse 3. This made Professor Sprout very happy. 
The moment they start to move into each other's pots, we'll know they're fully mature, she told Harry. Then we'll be able to revive those poor people in the hospital wing. <laughs> I love the mandrakes growing up. I love those descriptions. The second years were given something new to think about during their Easter holidays. The time had come to choose their subjects for the third year, a matter that Hermione, at least, took very seriously. It could affect our whole future, she told Harry and Ron as they poured over their list of new subjects, marching them with checks. Marking them with checks. I just want to give up potions, said Harry. We can't, said Ron gloomily. We keep all of our old subjects, but I'd have ditched defense against the dark arts. But that's very important, said Hermione, shocked. Not the way Lockhart teaches it, said Ron. I haven't learned anything from him except not to set pixies loose. Neville Longbottom had been sent letters from all the witches and wizards in his family, all giving him different advice on what to choose. Confused and worried, he sat reading the subject list with his tongue poking out, asking people whether they thought arithmancy sounded more difficult than study of ancient runes. Dean Thomas, who, like Harry, had grown up with muggles, ended up closing his eyes and jabbing his wand at the list, then picking the subjects it landed on. Hermione took nobody's advice but signed up for everything. Harry smiled grimly to himself at the thought of what Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia would say if he tried to discuss his career with them. Uh, his career in wizardry with them. Not that he didn't get any guidance. Percy Weasley was eager to share his experience. Depends on where you want to go, Harry, he said. Never too early to think about the future, so I'd recommend divination. People say Mongol studies is a soft option, but I personally think wizards should have a thorough understanding of the non-magical community, particularly if they're thinking of working in close contact with them. Look at my father. He's got to deal with Muggle business all the time. My brother Charlie uh, was always more of an outdoor type, so he went for care of magical creatures. Play to your strengths, Harry. But the only thing Harry felt he was really good at was Quidditch. In the end, he chose the same new subject as Ron, feeling that if he was lousy at them, at least he'd have some friendly... At least he said he would have someone friendly to help him. Gryffindor's next Quidditch match would be against Hufflepuff. Wood was insisting on team practices every night after dinner, so that Harry barely had time for anything but Quidditch and homework. However, the training sessions were getting better, or at least drier, and the Sunday evening... Oh, goodness gracious. Come on, Samuel. However, the training sessions were getting better, or at least drier. And the evening before Saturday's match, he went up to his dormitory to drop off his broomstick, feeling Gryffindor's chances for the Quidditch Cup had never been better. But his cheerful mood didn't last long. At the top of the stairs to the dormitory, he met Neville Longbottom, who was looking frantic. Eddie, I don't know who did it. I just found... Watching Harry fearfully, Neville pushed open the door. The contents of Harry's trunk had been thrown everywhere. His cloak lay ripped on the floor, the bedclothes had been pulled off his four-poster, and the drawer had been pulled out of his bedside cabinet, the contents strewn over the mattresses. Harry walked over to the bed, open-mouthed, treading on a few loose pages of Travels with Trolls. As he and Neville pulled the blankets back onto his bed, 
Ron, Dean, and Seamus came in. Dean swore loudly. What happened, Harry? No idea, said Harry. But Ron was examining Harry's robes. All the pockets were hanging out. Someone's been looking for something, said Ron. Is there anything missing? Harry started to pick up all his things and throw them into his trunk. It was only as he threw the last of the Lockhart books back into it he realized what wasn't there. Riddle's diary's gone, he said in an undertone to Ron. What? Harry jerked his head toward the dormitory door and Ron followed him out. They hurried down to the Gryffindor common room, which was half empty, and joined Hermione, who was sitting alone reading a book called Ancient Runes Made Easy. Hermione looked aghast at the news. But only a Gryffindor could have stolen... Nobody else knows our password. Exactly, said Harry. They woke the next day to brilliant sunshine and a light, refreshing breeze. Perfect Quidditch conditions, said Wood enthusiastically at the Gryffindor table, loading the team's plates with scrambled eggs. Harry, book up there. You'll need a decent breakfast. Harry had been staring down the teacher all about the diary, and how many people knew why Hagrid had been expelled fifty years ago? He didn't want to be the one who brought it all up again. As he left the Great Hall with Ron and Hermione to go and collect his Quidditch things, another very serious worry was added to Harry's growing list. He had just set foot on the marble staircase when he heard it yet again. Kill this time! Let me rip! Tear! He shouted aloud and Ron and Hermione both jumped away from him in alarm. The voice! said Harry, looking over his shoulder. I just heard it again! Didn't you? Ron shook his head, wide-eyed. Hermione, however, clapped a hand to her forehead. Harry! Oh, I think I've just understood something. I've got to go to the library. She sprinted away, up the stairs. What does she understand? said Harry distractedly, still looking around, trying to tell where the voice had come from. Lords more than I do, said Ron, shaking his head. But why has she got to go to the library? Because that's what Hermione does, said Ron, shrugging. When in doubt, go to the library. Harry stood, irresolute, trying to catch the voice again, but people were now emerging from the great hall behind him, talking loudly, exiting through the front doors on their way to the Quidditch pitch. You'd better get moving, said Ron. It's nearly eleven. The match... Harry raced up to Gryffindor Tower, collected his Nimbus 2000, and joined the large crowd swarming across the grounds. But his mind was still in the castle, along with the bodiless voice. And as he pulled on his scarlet robes in the locker room, his only comfort was that everyone was now outside to watch the game. The teams walked onto the field with tumultuous applause. Oliver Wood took off for a warm-up flight around the goalposts. Madame Hooch released the balls. The Hufflepuffs, who played in canary yellow, were standing in a huddle, having a last-minute discussion of tactics. Harry was just mounting his broom when Professor McGonagall came half-marching, half-running across the pitch, carrying an enormous purple microphone. 
Harry's heart dropped like a stone. This match has been cancelled, Professor McGonagall called through the microphone, addressing the packed stadium. There were boos and shouts. Oliver Wood, looking devastated, landed and ran toward Professor McGonagall without getting off his broomstick. But Professor, he shouted, we've got to play! The cup! Gryffindor! Professor McGonagall ignored him and continued to shout through the microphone. All students are to make their way back to the house common rooms, where the heads of houses will give them instructions and further information. As quickly as you can, please. Then she lowered the megaphone and beckoned Harry over to her. Potter, I think you'd better come with me. Wondering how she could possibly suspect him this time, Harry saw Ron detach himself from the complaining crowd. He came running up to them as they set off toward the castle. To Harry's surprise, Professor McGonagall didn't object. Yes, perhaps you'd better come too, Weasley. Some of the students swarming around them were grumbling about the match being cancelled. Others looked worried. Harry and Ron followed Professor McGonagall back into the school and up the marble staircase. But they weren't taken to anybody's office this time. This will come as a bit of a shock, said Professor McGonagall in a surprisingly gentle voice as they approached the infirmary. There has been another attack. Another double attack. Harry's insides did a horrible somersault. Professor McGonagall pushed open the door, and he and Ron entered. Madame Pomfrey was bending over a sixth-year girl with long, curly hair. Harry recognized her as the Ravenclaw that accidentally asked for directions to the common room. And on the bed next to her was... Hermione! Ron groaned. Hermione lay utterly still, her eyes open and glassy. They were found near the library, said Professor McGonagall. I don't suppose either of you can explain this. It was on the floor next to them. He was holding up a small circular mirror. Harry and Ron shook their heads, both staring at Hermione. I will escort you back to Gryffindor Tower, said Professor McGonagall heavily. I need to address the students in any case. Things are very serious at Hogwarts right now. All students will return to their house common rooms by six o'clock in the evening. No student is to leave the dormitories after that time. You will be escorted to each lesson by a teacher. No student is to use the bathroom unaccompanied by a teacher. All further Quidditch training and matches are to be postponed. There will be no more evening activities. The Gryffindors, packed inside the common room, listened to Professor McGonagall in silence. She rolled up the parchment from which she had been reading and said in a somewhat choked voice, I need hardly add that I have rarely been so distressed. It is likely that the school will be closed unless the culprit behind these attacks is caught. I would urge anyone who thinks they might know anything to come forward. She climbed somewhat awkwardly out of the portrait hole, and the Gryffindors began talking immediately. That's two Gryffindors down, not counting a Gryffindor ghost, one Ravenclaw and one Hufflepuff, said the Weasley twins' friend Lee Jordan, counting on his fingers. Haven't any of the teachers noticed the Slytherins are all safe? Isn't it obvious about this stuff coming from Slytherin? 
the heir of Slytherin, the monster of Slytherin. Why don't they just chuck all the Slytherins out? He roared. To nods and scattered applause. Percy Weasley was sitting in a chair behind Lee, but for once he didn't seem keen to make his views heard. He was looking pale and stunned. Percy's in shock, George told Harry quietly. That Ravenclaw girl, Penelope Clearwater, she's a prefect. I don't think he thought the monster would dare attack a prefect. But Harry was only half listening. He didn't seem to be able to get rid of the picture of Hermione. Lying on the hospital bed as though carved out of stone. And if the culprit wasn't thought s and if the culprit wasn't caught soon, it was looking at a lifetime back with the Dursleys. Tom Riddle had turned Hagrid in because he was faced with the prospect of a muggle orphanage if the uh, if the school closed. Harry now knew exactly how he had felt. What are we gonna do? said Ron quietly in Harry's ear. Do you think that they suspect Hagrid? We've got to go talk to him, said Harry, making up his mind. I can't believe it's him this time, but if he set the monster loose last time, he'll know how to get inside the Chamber of Secrets, and that's a start. But McGonagall says we've got to stay in our tower, unless we're in class. I think, said Harry, more quietly still, it's time to get my dad's old cloak out again. Harry had inherited just one thing from his father. A long and silvery invisibility cloak. It was their only chance of sneaking out of the school to visit Hagrid without anyone knowing about it. They went to bed at the usual time, waited until Neville, Dean, and Seamus had stopped discussing the Chamber of Secrets and finally fallen asleep, then got up, dressed again, and threw the cloak over themselves. The journey through the dark and deserted castle corridors wasn't enjoyable. Harry, who had wandered the castle at night several times before, had never seen it so crowded after sunset. Teachers, prefects, and ghosts were marching the corridors in pairs, staring around for any unusual activity. Their invisibility cloak didn't stop them making any noise, and there was a particularly tense moment when Ron stubbed his toe only yards from the spot where Snape stood standing guard. Thankfully, Snape sneezed at almost exactly the moment Ron swore... It was with relief that they reached the oak front doors and eased them open. It was a clear, starry night. They hurried toward the lit windows of Hagrid's house and pulled off the cloak only when they were right outside his front door. Seconds after they had knocked, Hagrid flung it open. They found themselves face to face with him, aiming a crossbow at them. Fang the boarhound barked loudly behind him. Oh, he said lowering the weapon and staring at them. "'What are you two doing here?' "'What's that for?' said Harry, pointing at the crossbow as they stepped inside. Uh, "'Nothing, nothing,' Hagrid muttered. "'Are you been expecting?' Uh, "'Doesn't matter. Uh, sit down. I'll make tea.' He hardly seemed to know what he was doing. He nearly extinguished the fire, spilling water from the kettle on it, and then smashed the teapot with a nervous jerk of his massive hand. 
Are you okay, Hagrid? said Harry. Did you hear about Hermione? Oh, I heard all right, said Hagrid, a slight break in his voice. He kept glancing nervously at the windows. He poured them both large mugs of boiling water, he had forgotten to add tea bags, and was just putting a slab of fruitcake on a plate when there was a loud knock at the door. Hagrid dropped the fruitcake. Harry and Ron exchanged panic-stricken looks, then threw the invisibility cloak back over themselves and retreated into a corner. Hagrid checked that they were hidden, seized his crossbow, and flung the door open once more. Good evening, Hagrid. It was Dumbledore. He entered looking deadly serious, and was followed by a second, very odd-looking man. The stranger had rumpled gray hair and an anxious expression, and was wearing a strange mixture of clothes, a pinstriped suit, a scarlet tie, a long black cloak, and pointed purple boots. Under his arm he carried a lime-green bowler. That's Dad's boss, Ron breathed. Cornelius Fudge, the Minister of Magic. Harry elbowed Ron hard to make him shut up. Hagrid had gone pale and sweaty. He dropped into one of his chairs and looked from Dumbledore to Cornelius Fudge. Uh, bad business, Hagrid, said Fudge in rather clipped tones. Uh, very bad business. I had to come. Uh, four attacks on Mugglebones. Things have uh, gone far enough, Sir Dumbledore, sir. I want it understood, Cornelius, that Hagrid has my full confidence, said Dumbledore, frowning at Fudge. Uh, look, uh, Albus, said Fudge, uncomfortably, Hagrid's records uh, are against him. Uh, ministry uh, got to do something. Um, the school's governors uh, have been in touch. Yet again, Cornelius, I tell you that taking Hagrid away will not help in the slightest, said Dumbledore. His blue eyes were full of a fire Harry had never seen before. Look at it from my point of view, said Fudge, fidgeting with his bowler. I'm under a lot of pressure. Got to be seen doing something. If it uh, turns out it wasn't Hagrid, he'll uh, be back and no more said. Uh, but I've got to take him. I've got to. Wouldn't be uh, doing my duty. Take me? said Hagrid, who was trembling. Take me where? Uh, for a, a short time only, said Fudge, not meeting Hagrid's eyes. Not a punishment, Hagrid, more a, a precaution. If someone else is caught, you'll be let out with a full apology. Not Azkaban, croaked Hagrid. Before Fudge could answer, there was another loud rap on the door. Dumbledore answered it. It was Harry's turn for an elbow in the ribs. He'd let out an audible gasp. Mr. Lucius Malfoy strode into Hagrid's hut, swathed in a long black traveling cloak, smiling a cold and satisfied smile. Fang started to growl. Already here, Fudge, he said approvingly. Good, good. What are you doing here? said Hagrid furiously. Get out of my house! My dear man, please believe me, I have no pleasure at all in being inside your... Uh, do you call this a house? said Lucius Malfoy, sneering as he looked around the small cabin. 
I simply called at the school and was told that the headmaster was here. And what exactly did you want with me, Lucius? said Dumbledore. He spoke politely, but the fire was still blazing in his blue eyes. Dreadful thing, Dumbledore, said Malfoy lazily, taking out a long roll of parchment. But the governors feel it's time for you to step aside. This is an order of suspension. You'll find all twelve signatures on it. I'm afraid we feel you're losing your touch. How many attacks have there been now? Two more this afternoon, wasn't it? At this rate, there'll be no Muggleborns left at the school, and we know what an awful loss that would be. Uh, now, uh, uh, see here, Lucius, said Fudge, looking alarmed. Dumbledore uh, suspended. No, no, no. Last thing we want, just now. The appointment or suspension of the headmaster is a matter for the governors, Fudge, said Mr. Malfoy smoothly. And as Dumbledore has failed to stop these attacks... Uh, see here, Malfoy, if Dumbledore can't stop them, said Fudge, whose upper lip was sweating now. I mean to say, who can? That remains to be seen, said Mr. Malfoy with a nasty smile. You have to threaten and blackmail before they agreed, Malfoy, eh? he roared. Dear, dear, you know, that temper of yours will lead you into trouble one of these days, Hagrid, said Mr. Malfoy. I would advise you not to shout at the Azkaban guards like that. They won't like it at all. You can't take Dumbledore, yelled Hagrid, making Fang the Boarhound cower and whimper in his basket. Take him away and the Muggleborns won't stand a chance. There'll be killing next. Calm yourself, Hagrid, said Dumbledore sharply. He looked at Lucius Malfoy. If the governors want my removal, Lucius, I shall, of course, step aside. But, uh, stuttered Fudge. No, growled Hagrid. Dumbledore had not taken his bright blue eyes off Lucius Malfoy's cold gray ones. However, said Dumbledore, speaking very slowly and clearly so that none of them could miss a word he said, you will find that I will only truly have left this school when there are none here loyal to me. You will also find help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask for it. For a second, Harry was almost sure Dumbledore's eyes flickered toward the corner where he and Ron stood hidden. Admirable sentiments, said Malfoy, bowing. We shall all miss your uh, highly individual way of running things, Albus, and only hope that your successor will manage to prevent any killings. He strode to the cabin door, opened it, and bowed Dumbledore out. Fudge, fiddling with his bowler, waited for Hagrid to go ahead of him. But Hagrid stood his ground, took a deep breath, and said carefully, if anyone wanted to find out some stuff, all they'd have to do is follow the spiders. That'd lead him right, that's all I'm saying. Fudge stared at him in amazement. All right, I'm coming, said Hagrid. 
pulling on his moleskin overcoat. But as he was about to follow Fudge through the door, he stopped again and said loudly, And someone will need to feed Fang while I'm away! The door banged shut, and Ron pulled off the invisibility cloak. We're in trouble now, he said hoarsely. No, Dumbledore. You might as well close the school tonight. There'll be an attack a day with him gone. Fang started howling, scratching at the closed door. And that is the end of chapter 14. Things are going south at Hogwarts. Got the removal of leadership, excellent leadership. Got uh, people meddling. This does seem to happen. Things go a little wrong, and anybody with anything to say has a lot to say all of a sudden. We know it can't have gone too, too horribly wrong. Uh, because there are five more books. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. Anybody interested in what's going on here, uh, I read stories. I perform the voices. Uh, I love getting in arguments. There's actually a huge one in book three that I love because there are like six different teachers involved um, and a couple of students. And I really, really enjoy having that argument with myself in you know eight different directions. I do most of my updates on Instagram, at Sidecar Stories. And I am really pleased for anyone who joined me here today. Luke, thank you for being here. Um, Rachel, I hope you guys had a lovely conversation. And, uh, not Luke and Rachel. Rachel and Goma. Nobody else who uh, knows who Goma is, that's fine. That's personal. Don't get in my business. No, I'm fine with you being in my business. I just have a lot of close family members and I don't want people in their business so I always struggle with how much I'm going to divulge on these streams because I don't I don't really mind people knowing about me but I feel like it's best to give people close to me an option rather than forcing them to you know put all their stuff on secret anyway this was a uh, significant chapter Lots of things happening. Uh, a couple of little details I wanted to discuss. Uh, you know, people talk about a lot of issues. Oh, Rachel's here. Is it okay if I watch this uh, when the whole thing is uploaded? Because I already missed a lot. Yes, that is just fine. And it's probably a good idea because uh, as far as I can tell, this was a pretty good stream. So you should have a pretty good recording. Boy, I didn't realize how wide my eyes were going there. That's nuts. Um, yeah, no, this would be a good one to go back and watch. Um, I'll try to have it edited early this week. Um, maybe make that my Sunday night, Monday, uh, part of my routine. I'm, I'm trying out a, a new routine. Um, I, you know, I'm also in a, I've got an interview on Wednesday for a new job. So wish me some luck there, but in the interim, I'm trying a, uh, a new schedule. Three, uh, two blocks of three days. I have trouble I, I I I hate the fact that the week is an odd number of days. I can't stand it. It really, really ruins any of my attempts to form. I am going to look up what the actual, uh, what your actual handle is because I want to make sure I get it right. Uh, and also, 
Uh, if you're not gone already, let me know if this is correct. Luke Skyfus, a lot of reading and literary writing. And, uh, yeah, he's a, a good fan of the show. I, we, I think I've had some of my best discussions with him and Rachel. So, yeah, Luke, thank you very much for being here. Rachel, thank you for checking back in. Um, this will be a good one to watch. All right, and just in time because my bitrate is crashing, so I hope you all have a wonderful evening, and I will see you. Outside chance that, you know, it's going to be fine. So, okay. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of back-ish. Okay, uh, so maybe instead of just ending it right there, yeah, this will be, this will, This is kind of the, the perfect one to have missed because I already read some of it, and you'll be able to see it again. Um, if anybody's interested, as usual, in uh, continuing this discussion afterward, you know, after we're done talking about things in chat, um, I'm going to be moving this to Instagram. You may notice that there is a series of discussion posts, and we can talk about that once we're done here. Because as much as I'd love to stay online and, and discuss things uh, to literally no end with you, um, I do have to get offline at some point. But it's been a great chapter. Uh, Luke says that is correct. Okay, good. Yeah, no problem. But uh, yeah, I appreciate Luke being here, and I appreciate Rachel being my number one fan. Rachel, I love you too. I know you do. Don't worry. Don't worry at all. Yeah, no, this was a great chapter. This was a great stream to have, uh, you know, like if you needed to duck out for one. This was a good one, Rach. You're going to be able to watch it all um, in brilliant high definition once it's uploaded. Um, yeah, no, this is a good one. Um, but I look forward to talking to you again next week. All you wonderful people. And Rachel, I think I'm probably just going to go ahead and call you. Because why not? Uh, I'm going to like monologue for a second, but if anything, anyone has anything else they want to discuss, put it in chat. We'll talk about it. That's my favorite thing. Um, and I think what I want to talk about uh, now that we're at the end of this chapter is how much like secret hiding stuff uh, people are doing. I realize that's kind of a an odd little detail to pick out, but you know, in chapter 13, I think. Yeah, end of chapter 13. Um, you know, Harry talks about uh, like wanting to keep it secret from Ron that he's exploring deeper into the diary. And that struck me as an interesting moment. When you've got people around you who you're, you know, you're confident that you, you trust Ron. If Harry's confident that he trusts Ron. And uh, he feels like he can't share this thing with him. If you're ever in that position, be careful. If you trust someone and you trust their judgment, be careful about the things that you are afraid to share with them or afraid to discuss with them or afraid to have them know about. Same thing with Harry uh, trusting teachers. You know, he, There are some teachers that he, know he, he knows he trusts, but he chooses not to share certain things with them. It's not always to say that it's wrong to, you know, keep those things to yourself. But if you ever feel yourself hiding things from people who you trust um, to want the, the best for you, that can be a red flag. So just, just think about it, consider it, 
because sometimes it means that that thing is bad for you. <laughs> yeah, we talked about we talked a little bit at halftime about um, villains, the side villains. Yeah, the side villains. I love side villains. They're really smart. I I play uh, nerd games, um, mostly Dungeon World, um, and the the whole. This whole series of books is set up so excellently like a campaign where you sort of work your way up through, like you said, side villains. Um, and so you've got all these really interesting people who challenge Harry and Hermione and Ron in different ways. And, uh, you know, it, it takes different skills and different bravery to fight all of them off. It's been wonderful talking with you all. I think I'm going to end it here. Um, the... Instagram post will be up shortly, so if you have any additional questions, comments, concerns, uh, asking for definitions, you just really want to hear me do um, Peeves' voice again, because this is the Peeves cast, go ahead and let me know. Alright. Have a good night, wonderful people. I will see you next week.